Welcome to the Knights of Vader, a Star Wars podcast. It is January 11th, 2018, and we're talking more Last Jedi January. My name is Zach Weber. Tonight, I am joined by Mark. Hello, everyone. And I have the honor of having one of our guest hosts tonight is Jack Posobiec. Hey, how's it going? Really excited to be on today. Uh, I think it's great what you guys are doing with the podcast here. I've been following it. Uh, big, big friends with Mark for uh, for a couple of years now going back. So it's awesome to finally come in. And it's it's great because I, I met uh, Mark through some of my normal work, which is usually in, uh, in politics, media, and the government. But uh, he and I are both huge Star Wars fans. So we usually will take a few minutes and kind of go off to a table by ourselves and just sit and talk all things Star Wars for, you know, half hour or so until I get dragged back. So I we've been looking to do some collaboration uh, on Star Wars predominantly for a while, and I'm glad that we finally figured out, uh, that, you know, this podcast as a great platform to be able to do that. Well, we're honored to have you on, right, Mark? Yeah, no, definitely. I get a lot of, uh, you know, hot takes from Jack here, and, uh, you know, he's got a lot of, he knows a lot, you know, he's kind of an insider, and... Um, He's also a bit of a provocateur, uh, like Milo, in a way. I don't know. Would you say that? For, would you say that about yourself, Jack? You know, I mean, I did a lot more provocateur type stuff in the past. I mean, I kind of, I kind of been moving away from that lately. But every once in a while, you know, something happens where I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll do something. Uh, because Jack is such a big figure on Twitter, um, you know, he gets. Uh, he gets a lot of trolls in his mentions, uh, Sally, and uh, and we're what? hoping to commandeer some of his hate mail. We're hoping that maybe <laughs> for we always joke that in order for someone to hate us, they actually have to listen to us first. So we're hoping this actually gets us some listens, so people will eventually hate us. <laughs> exactly, no, exactly. What, I mean, uh, we were saying, as we said earlier, uh, uh, before I got on the the, the phone, if, if you guys are looking for hate mail, believe me, you called the right guy. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, all right, definitely. all right, Jack. So let's get into the Star Wars part of all this. You you are someone who did not like the Last Jedi. Am I correct? I mean, I don't know. My 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 review on it originally wasn't quite that harsh, but I I I think I was a little let down. I put it that way. I was I was let down. I was expecting a lot more from it, and and what I got to me was just disappointing from where I was hoping. Uh, uh, things were going to go. Had really high hopes for Rian Johnson. I'm a huge fan of his when it comes to his work on Looper, when it comes to his uh, his amazing independent film Brick, and both of his um, Breaking Bad uh, directed episodes, Ozymandias and also The Fly. But And so f- for me, I thought that uh, someone like that come with so much creative energy, so many sort of, out of outside the box, unconventional thinking type uh, direction would really take that to Star Wars and take it to new levels, and I don't, I don't know. I'm not quite sure if that's what what we got in terms of a product. And so what we got was eh, essentially Empire Strikes Back with a little bit of Return of the Jedi and then some twisted conventions here and there, but also a lot of kind of um, I don't know. For me, it, it felt like like downplaying a lot of the questions that had come up in. Force Awakens regarding whether it's Ray's parents, what happened to Luke, where is he, the lightsaber, Kylo Ren's whole background, all that stuff. It just sort of felt like it was downplayed to the point of almost not mattering in uh, in this movie. Just real quick, let's give, give our audience some more context. Did you Would you say you liked Force Awakens more than Last Jedi? The same, less? Less. Less than Force Awakens. Definitely less than Force Awakens. 
And just one more question, a little bit more context. Star Wars in general, were you someone who grew up with the original trilogy or were introduced to it later in life? Or how did you get into Star Wars overall? For me, like I was a kid in the 90s, right? So my, my Star Wars, I really would say that I got into Star Wars through the original novels. Um, I, my, the first full-length you know, a book or novel, I guess, that I ever read was I was probably in second grade and it was the novelization of, of Return of the Jedi. And then from there on, I, uh, I started reading more of the novels, which I would like, like the Timothy Zahn novels and then other people, uh, Kevin J. Anderson, who would write novels for Star Wars, would get into it more. And it, it, it's, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I didn't even realize that there were movies until after I had read a few of the books, if you can believe it or not. Wow. You don't usually hear that. Yeah. Often. So, no, no, I know, and like, I mean, for me, I didn't realize that that wasn't the norm until you know I got older, obviously. But at that point, I, I was like, oh wow, but um, I love these movies. But for me, it really, really enjoyed reading those novels, and there were some of the comics associated. So I read a lot of those. Now, all, all of this is referred to today as as Legends or formerly the Expanded Universe. Um, but I read a lot of those read a lot of those and then i mean all the way through the Hughes and vong series played you know the video games all throughout the 90s rogue squadron on 1064 um what was the one with that shadows of the empire you know, with dash rendar and prince shizor and all that and that for me that was the star wars i feel um that i grew up with so would you be again when they when disney wiped away all the eu were you disappointed i would imagine you were disappointed by that my gosh, you know, it felt like a punch in the gut because it, on one hand, you know, from a corporate business perspective, you know, rationally, I completely understand what they're doing, but, and, but it was like, wow, you know, I, I invested so much money and so many, so many years into that, uh, that story and to have it just completely wiped out kind of, it, it came as a shock, right? You know, I was so used to those, but then I sat down and I thought, well, Maybe this is good because now it gives me a new opportunity to see something different, something that I hadn't seen before, take things in a new direction. And I actually feel that if you go back to, and I know we're not reviewing Force Awakens, but you know, just to talk about it for a second, a lot of those big ideas right, in the movie Force Awakens came from the expanded universe. Uh, uh, the idea of of Han and Leia having a son who eventually goes dark, right? That that in in the novels that was mm -hmm. that was his plot line. Um, having something that can destroy uh, stars that came from the it was called the Sun Crusher in the novels. Um, the idea of having you know a force sensitive sort of teenage young adult uh, woman basically who turned out to be right that came out of the novels. Though, so a lot of those big ideas really came into it. Actually, even the uh, their son, right? So be, it's Darth Vader's grandson and. There's not much of a play in in as there is with Ben Solo and, and Kylo Ren, but a lot of the nucleus of those came from the novels. And so I could appreciate it sort of like they went into those and found what all the best things were. And believe me, there, were, there was a lot of bad ideas in those novels and those comics, too. And they found the best parts of it and then reformatted it in a way that an audience who hadn't, you know, had any familiarity with any of that source material was able to enjoy it and was able to fit in with the rest of the movie series. I was never a uh, fan of the uh, EU. Uh, I never really got into it. I'm of the type that, you know, like the prequels. I know Jack uh, was in the, isn't a fan of the prequels. Um, 
but uh, that's all right. You know, he's got he's entitled to his opinion. Uh, yeah, but speaking of that, Jack, though, um, can you tell us something about like wh- why you weren't really too fond of them, or it just didn't appeal to you? Or I guess my take on the prequels, when it really comes down to it, is they were made in in such a way that it took away from having George Lucas really be the writer and the director and the producer of all the films. He was stretched in so many different directions. Whereas in the original trilogy, I mean, you had people like Lawrence Kasdan, you had people like Gary Kurtz coming in there and really being able to focus on, okay, here's one person who's just doing the directing, one person who's just doing characters, one person who's just focusing on the script and, and where Lucas focused mainly on the story. And it, it, that's maybe more, I think, where it worked a little bit better. And now that that's, that's sort of the model that they're moving towards with the Disney trilogy, with the new, the new trilogy that's coming out now. And I think to a lot of people, they're saying that some of those issues that they had with the prequels, it's, it's been addressed, and they found that a new way of working with the films is, is coming out now. And it's, it's I, mean, I mean, clearly they're you know, the highly successful. I believe that the prequels were made uh, with a younger generation in mind, just like when the original trilogy came out. Uh, they were also made, uh, you know, with a youth, for, with youth in mind. I know there's a quote that that uh, George Lucas has saying that he, you know, he made them with the intention to appeal to 12 year olds. Uh, something he said about the original trilogy, and I think he said something similar to that with the prequels. Um, with the new movies that are coming out. Um, yeah, you know, they're also appealing to a newer generation. That doesn't mean that older folks cannot enjoy them. Um, they can't. They, they can't go to the theater and watch them. It just means that you know, it, they're they're also to bring bring in uh, new fans into the fandom. Um, and uh, I, of course, you know, some of the older fans, some of the existing fans, may not like some of the things that have been coming out in from by Disney. Uh, but you know, that that's kind of how it is. That they 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 mark they they want they're they're. Uh, I don't want to say they're targeting, you know, younger fans, but they're, you know, they have younger fans in mind. You know, Disney has younger fans in mind. Um, even though they, they, they say that, you know, Star Wars is a multi-generational, uh, you know, franchise that, you know, it's been enjoyed by people from all ages and whatnot. That's, a, that's actually a point that you're making right there. Maybe that's even a bigger, uh, broader point for just Star Wars in general, because Star Wars has become this really the first franchise to transcend generations, right? You know, Harry Potter hasn't been around long enough to do that. Indiana Jones never really, you know, created this this long spanning franchise, but Star Wars has, and, and so it's interesting to find where people's sort of start point is for Star Wars, right? You know, so we, all three of us just named three separate things. And to all three of us, Star Wars kind of means something a little different. And that's one of the unique and really special, when it comes down to it, aspects of Star Wars as a franchise, as a fandom, as a community, that it does have all of these different facets to it. Right, right, exactly. That, 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 is, that, is, the, that is the case indeed. Um, and the interesting thing is, is that, you know, there's, there's going to be a whole lot of movies and you know, not every fan is going to like every one of them, and which is which I think personally, I think that's fine. You know, not you know, no no movie, no Star Wars movie is perfect, uh, in my opinion. And uh, so some fans Except may for like Except for Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I had a feeling you were going to say that one. <laughs> cough, but uh, huh? Cough, <laughs> cough, cough. We did entire episodes. We went through Rotten Tomatoes and read the user reviews for the Last Jedi. 
And wow. they, yes, Epic. not as well. We tried to read as many. After a while, we actually kept trying to go to the next page because there were so many reviews coming in at 9 30, 10 o'clock at night. We actually couldn't get to the next page because it kept refreshing. We get the same exact reviews over and over no, again. No, so that happened to me too. I was, I was actually. I had found, I remember, a user review for Last Jedi that I was trying to read because it was really long and it was really good. But, oh boy, yes they um, are. <laughs> I, and, and, and I don't mean, this isn't one of these like critic, you know, it wasn't published in a journal, it was just something someone had signed on to Rotten Tomatoes and wrote it out, but this thing was like five pages long. And I kept losing it because I would hit refresh and then, it, and then like a hundred more reviews had flown in. Oh yeah. Hey, um, Jack. What, what do you think about the uh, this allegation of supposedly like some guy created a bot uh, to uh, to you know manipulate that user score? Uh, you know, give it a bunch of negative reviews. Some it, it was a guy who was like supposedly uh, one of the one of the people that really enjoyed the the EU, um, and you know he wanted to like get back at Disney, quote unquote. I, I don't know. Do you, you think? Do you put much weight into that, or you think it's not really? I, it's pretty minimal, or what? I don't. And in fact, even um, even even Rotten Tomatoes themselves came out and said that um, that it, it just wasn't true. They came out and said that they actually do have a policy uh, and they have security f- features in their system to to make sure that people can't do something like that because obviously their whole you know their whole business model of their website rests on those numbers, right? The the Rotten Tomato number and then the user you know the audience number. So they. Re- really do try to prevent that and they came out specifically when all this came out and of course you're referring to uh for anyone who's listening who hasn't heard yet this i this this fact and i actually haven't checked it lately maybe you guys can give me an update but that that the critic score for last jedi was very high whereas the user score score or the audience meter was much more contentious it it, it really looked like there was almost a 50 50 split between people who liked it and people who didn't like it it's actually below that as of as of right now i think it's at 49 percent Oh, oh wow! Let me, let me oh, check yeah, real quick. Yeah, so that's yeah, we got got new number. Yeah, it's it's a, we got a we got a critic score of ninety percent, which went down from I think it was like ninety three when the first uh, yeah, you know, in the first few days, and then we the audience score went down to forty nine percent, which you now personally, yeah, you know, I I I don't like. You know, I'm disappointed in this. I um, but uh, not the movie, but I'm just disappointed in seeing you know all you know so many fans that dislike it. Uh, but you know, people are entitled to their opinions. Um, that said. Uh, other other sites have pretty much have had like um, you know user scores be like eight out of ten you know that kind of thing eighty percent seventy percent people saying they liked it eighty percent people that liked it so you know every website has is different you know some are you know some get more traffic some don't you know it just happens that uh, the Rotten Tomatoes one is the more visible one the more the the one that the public knows of the most um, but I know there's also IMDb. Uh, what's another one? Metacritic. Um, yeah. So there's a bunch of others that you know where where um, users can give their input. Uh, now, Jack, um, if you can give me a number between one to ten, you know, one being you know very you know terrible, ten being perfect. Um, what would you give the Last Jedi? And you could do like 0.5 increments as well. So I, th- I think I'm right there with uh, with the audience score. Let's go with 4.9. I'm just you only said half integers. You can't do that. <laughs> yeah, you're. Yeah. you're right. No, I'd say I'd say about five out of ten. I'd say about five out of ten. All right, all right. Sounds well, good. Well, now I want to ask you because you you obviously Jack have your finger on the pulse of conservatism in America. 
there's a lot of people are saying this is the SJW Star Wars. This is a politically correct Star Wars. I get that complaint for Force Awakens. I don't agree with it entirely, though, but I, I see flavors, or I taste flavors of it in that mix. For The Last Jedi, outside of Laura Dern's hair, I really don't see the uber-progressive elements of it. Do you see any of that? I'll put it this way. In my review of it, I actually wrote that I didn't think that there was any overt political references in the sense that I didn't think there was anything in there that where they were being political in the sense of, of you know, describing someone like president trump or saying that someone else was uh you know russia or putin or something like that i don't think there are any overt political references um like and and my in in rogue one the writers had originally said that that there were overt political references to trump and the empire and things like that i didn't see any of that in force awakens or excuse me in uh, in last jedi i did notice was that a lot of the people who were making those claims that that there is sort of a progressive agenda going on here with it. Were were basically saying that they felt that in in two ways. Probably first that almost all of the male characters in the movie are you know sort of unempowered. They're 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 all sort of relegated to either plot lines where things fail, things don't go right for them, or they're you know they become incredibly wrong about something, or they're duplicitous, right? Right, like. Like we find out with uh, the hacker, you know, Benicio del Toro, or uh, or even with uh, with Finn, where he attempts to do something and, and just completely fails. Probably the bigger comment that I was making was that I felt that there wasn't a lot of traditional heroism in, in the film. I felt that there wasn't really a strong protagonist in the movie, and there wasn't really anyone who was out to perform anything heroic. It was more a series of, of unfortunate events, you know, to borrow the Lemony Snicket reference, where th- things are happening and people wish they weren't. And even even Kylo Ren kind of makes sense of that, makes a point of this, where he says in the film, maybe there is no Sith and maybe there is no Jedi and we should just we should just go on by ourselves and forget about all that stuff. So he's sort of rejecting that that dichotomy of heroes and villains. I can see how people would put that into a perspective of saying that it's that it's progressive or saying that it's uh, you know like post postmodernist. Hey, Jack, um, give me your opinion on this. So uh, would you say that the the majority of people that dislike The Last Jedi, uh, would you say that they're more, you know, conservative, that they lean to the right? Or are you seeing a mix of people, you know, saying that, you know, other people that dislike The Last Jedi, are you just seeing a mix of people, like liberal, conservative, moderate, whatever, you know? I don't think there's any political uh, element to it. I think there's just people who wanted to see a different movie with Luke Skywalker in it. I think there's people who uh, wanted to see, and, and a lot of it, you know, the main comment that I saw from people was saying that they disagreed very deeply with the handling of the Luke Skywalker character, him, of course, being, you know, the the triumphant hero of the first three movies. You know, a lot of people, uh, you know, always looked up to, to Luke as sort of that that paragon of virtue and optimism. And, and there's such a major shift in character from the last time we see Luke, uh, really see Luke in Return of the Jedi, to now his character is sort of this this disgruntled old man uh, who doesn't really use the Force until the very end. And I think for a lot of people, myself included, that our expectations of a movie with Luke Skywalker were just completely shattered. All right. Well, yeah. Well, well, one thing I just want to say, because I've been thinking more and more about The Force Awakens. And so I know there's been a lot of, uh, what do you call it, threads on Twitter about this. In that... 
people are looking at the Luke Skywalker thing, like you said, Jack. That seems to be the that seems to be the the cornerstone. Of everybody's complaints with this film. No right. one's mad because Chewie even, even on the Mark Hamill by himself to actually you know kind of kind of got into that. Exactly, he got he got in trouble for saying that he disagreed with the way the script wrote or went, and then about three days later he got a, a letter from Disney saying, "Be quiet or else." And he all oh, no, the, I love I love the movie. Lawyers. Yeah, yeah, the uh, the. The mouse's lawyers reminded him about that contract he signed. <laughs> exactly, and all the dollar, all the little zeros after that first number. Uh, but uh, no, but uh, I'm thinking about uh-huh. Force Awakens. And Force Awakens again, obviously that Luke is the MacGuffin of that film. Where is Luke? We need to get to Luke. Yet right. that movie does no job of explaining why Luke has removed himself. Like we get some brief hints. Han Solo says there was a Jedi Academy that failed. We see a a, a, guy, a cloaked version of him grasping R two D two, but we really have no idea why. And I think maybe like like you say too, Ryan Johnson is a clever guy, and I think maybe the ultimate failure of him with this film, and this is coming from someone who loved the film, is that he might have overthought Luke's character a little too much. In that he figures, okay, why would Luke remove himself from this, from the events of the saga, or from the thirty years in between all this? And instead of saying, okay, why would he do this? He figures, oh, Luke obviously must have been very troubled and disturbed. And the major theme I would say Luke has for this is that he he feels shame throughout this movie. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. We're presented it, with the uh, the the Ben Solo situation, and 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 I, I think I read one of the threads you're talking about too in that, where he sort of said that we're given sort of three different versions of, of how that, that night went down uh, until we, you know, we get kind of get like the vision version and then we get Kylo's version. And then finally we get Luke's version. Exactly. And I think, and obviously, and that's something that you, again, like you said, Luke Skywalker is the, is the hero of the original trilogy. So you take this character that people have been waiting to see for Lord, 30, 40 years now, or not 40, 35 plus years. And you give him, a very human emotion that's not heroic, shame, and you you saddle him with that, and guess what? You have a lot of disenfranchised fans, and even though that makes for like I, it makes for compelling cinema, it's not going to make the forty five year old man who still has all the action figures from when he was six years old and when he was forty five. That's not going to make him too happy. And that's why, again, like we keep looking at Disney, and again, the big joke is with Disney and, and Lucas when he looks at two eras of, of them making films is that who's the more cynical uh, CEO? Is it Lucas or is it the, uh, the Mouse House? And it's things like that. Is that I don't know if Lu- or George Lucas would have actually taken Luke Skywalker and made him that character. I don't know if Lu- like Lucas would probably done something different. Obviously, he wouldn't have done it this exact way, though. But just me, it makes me wonder with with Disney. Disney's obviously always so afraid of upsetting people, as we know. Yet they do something like this, and apparently, obviously, Ryan Johnson had carte blanche with it. The way that you know, kind of taking what you're saying um, about about the the shame aspect, and say that was one way to right because the question was why did Luke take himself off the playing board? Why did Luke not want to be involved in galactic events? Right. Uh, as was the setup in Force Awakens. Why did he pull himself away? Myself, honestly, one of the things that I had gone back to was there is an interview with Mark Hamill that was done back in the 80s. Uh, um, I want to say 80s, and it was a long time ago because he looked young. But he <laughs> he stated that if he was going to ever do Star Wars sequels, that one of the plot lines he would really p- push for was Luke falling to the dark side. Or, you know, at least being being tempted or kind of crossing that line, stepping over into that abyss. And for me, 
I was, I don't know, maybe hoping, maybe wanting, maybe it was my head cannon that, um, that that's where they were going to take it. That Luke was, had either fallen to the dark side, or, but didn't want to work with the, force, the First Order, or that he was battling the sort of light and dark. Maybe that's kind of the impetus that led to what we, what we got in the film, but I think that there are some really big questions that, you know, who knows, there's still some more installments coming, maybe they'll get into that some more, but I think those are some really big questions that, and for me at least, uh, I, I would have been really, really enjoying to see how Luke Skywalker would have dealt with that. I think it would be interesting. I was thinking about this too. We have the, you mentioned the scene where we have Luke Skywalker go into Ben Solo's cabin. At this point, considering how the actors are, again, I know there's the Ryan Johnson trilogy, which is going to be three films of, we don't have no idea what it is. And I know this kind of contradicts the press release they put out though. But for all we know, they could be doing a film of their training at, at Luke's Jedi Temple. That'd be an interesting spinoff film. So you fill in the gaps of what goes on in there, and it fleshes out the universe a little bit more. It's, I feel that's that's got to be a fertile ground for them, going back to that entire training, because there is so much... It's that version of the prequels that everyone feels was misguided. You have the idea of a, the Jedi training, and obviously Luke training a whole new crop of children. That's something that's been discussed, like you stated, back during the 80s, the whole idea of what Luke would do next. There's so much they could do with him, considering that they've, they've killed off... Uh, Han Solo and Carrie, Fer uh, Carrie Fisher's unfortunately dead in real life. So you got you got to think they're wondering what they can do with this character to a utilize the actor while they're still alive because Mark Hamill's not getting any younger. And on top of that, it still makes sense to flesh out things in the narrative world where the fan base wants it. Yeah, you're right. And, and Yoda even kind of lampshades this uh, when he shows up for his cameo. Spoilers, <laughs> I think. <everyone> has <laughs> spoilers, right? Um, <sighs> he kind of lampshades it because he says he, he looks at him. He's like, dude, I told you pass on what you have learned. What I, did I stutter? It's like, I know I got a funny accent, but I said that, are you doing it or not, dude? I think that um, Luke turned out in the last Jedi. A lot of that was kind of already foreshadowed by the events in the force awakens. You know, we know from the force awakens that, yeah, something happened with his Academy. You know, uh, one of the students, you know, um, turned against him and the rest of the students and then you know luke felt responsible so he went into hiding so that already so the last jedi was already confined to x to you know explain why it was that luke you know became a hermit all of a sudden yeah and, like that, that and, setup is you know it's basically there we just don't quite have all the details right right like i wasn't expecting you know luke to be out in like you know battling you know people like you know swinging the sword left and right you know like some young jedi and you know right and, right yeah i i really i wasn't really expecting that i was really expecting him to be like the uh like the obi-wan um of the sequel trilogy you know to guide you know this younger person who's strong in the force right being ray in this case from a lot of the comments that i read of people that didn't like the last jedi uh, a lot of it's you know a lot of their complaints were that yeah, you know, the the character Luke wasn't handled well. This and that. Um, you know, a lot of the people that didn't like it, they they would cite that as one of the reasons that they didn't like uh, the Last Jedi. They they dislike how they treated you know Luke as a character. To kind of go back, piggyback on what you're saying before. I mean, imagine those people coming in who have been waiting what 35 years to see Luke Skywalker on screen again. You know, this this you know huge hero, 
and it he and then it turns out to have uh you know be a scene of him drinking drinking milk from the uh the space moose's needle uh nipples <laughs> <laughs> not exactly what they thought they were paying 1250 for right right i i i mean i knew there was gonna be humor in the movie i just didn't know when and how and what you know um, but I, I like personally, I didn't come in with a, you know a head cannon expectations. Like I didn't come in, you know, being like, all right, my theory for Ray and her and who her parents are, it, it better play out or else, you know, I'm gonna be disappointed and dislike this movie. I I didn't come in with that. Um, I'm actually kind of glad that they, you know, they think that she's Ray Random, uh, although you know. People are still speculating that perhaps that was a lie that she was told, or perhaps there's more to this, you know, to the whole parent, her whole parentage story. But you know, so we'll see. But anyways, uh, yeah, I, I wasn't disappointed, you know, in in what they said about like her background, like you know who her parents are and whatnot. Um, and same with Luke, you know, I was, uh, I was, I was, you know, I didn't have a problem with it. Um, I liked, you know, the ending where Luke came out and you know he had this like he was very strong in the force. Using a you know force projection um, to project himself from you know the planet that he was on Octo to the planet Crate, uh, you know shows just how much uh, strong in the force he was um, to be able to do that. Um, unfortunately, because you know he he passed away from that. Well, he be, sorry he became one with the force, uh, you know from that. Um, so he did you know he did pay a big sacrifice for that uh but it paid off for the, the heroes um you know they were able to uh, it created a distraction for the heroes to escape and you know now they can reestablish the uh, resistance um because they got pretty decimated in the last jedi um but speaking of that scene that's another scene that's one of the big it's, it's another uh one scene that some, some of these uh dissenters have uh you know when it comes to the last jedi they didn't like the way that that whole thing with luke in crate went down and uh i don't know what, what did whoa, you think whoa, whoa. people did not like that that's the greatest part of the entire film what, yeah. what, when when luke when luke went into the force yeah when, when when luke was uh you know when he projected himself to the planet crate and you know the he, he uh went out and you know started shooting at him you know the the, the first order started oh, shooting okay, at him the projection, you mean that yeah that that part and then you know kylo ren you know Trying to get in the lightsaber battle with him, and then he finds out that he never really was there in the first place. So, yeah. So I don't know, Jack. What, what did what did you think of that scene? I mean, did you like it? Did you dislike it? What's your th- What I are mean, your thoughts? So when I first sat through it, and I got to see it a couple of days early, so I was excited about that. Um, it, you know, when when Luke first wa- walks out there, I mean, I really had that big sense of of yeah this is finally happening luke skywalker the hero is back right this is what we all wanted and then it turns out that he's not really there but he's he's kind of far away and i don't know i didn't quite get a sense of the reasoning for why he couldn't have just flown to crate to be there uh you know so at least um narratively it it it, it certainly would have made sense um he could have you know held off the first order and then sacrificed himself and, you know, everybody gets away and that's, that's sort of his big finale. Um, but I didn't quite get what, what it was that, that made him not able to just do that in, in terms of the film. And I, my guess is my, my, my sneaking suspicion is that they really wanted that scene of him, um, you know, sort of up there on the, on like the, the Lion King ledge with the Mufasa (laughs) ledge, you know, with, uh, you know, looking out at the two sons and they just kind of, really wanted that 
that image. I mean, you could have, I don't know, because they, what, they couldn't find a mountain somewhere on Crate to do that, or, you know, it couldn't have been a binary star system. I don't know. I, it just seemed, uh, for me, I just kind of was scratching my head to say, well, it's an interesting choice, I guess. I mean, certainly Luke Skywalker could have been powerful. If he's powerful enough to project himself, he could have been powerful enough to, you know, create a basic, a basic, um, you know, basic energy shield around him to protect against all that blaster fire. I mean, I, I think everyone would have been okay with that. I mean, we've got we've got Leia flying in space, and we've got you know all this <laughs> other stuff going on. So I don't think it's that, that much of a stretch. Well, my my theory for the Luke Skywalker on crate crate thing is that the whole again trying again I'm trying to look at this through screenwriting that screenlining lens, not Star Wars. I figure if you look at anything, you, you can rationalize anything using Star Wars logic. But the screenwriting lens that you have Kylo Ren, who's a spoiled brat of a character. He's arrogant, he's all these things, and he has the one person that he's been he's been hunting for for basically two films now. Because everyone forgets that that's still more or less his mission at the beginning of this film. Because when him and Ray are having the Force visions, the first thing he does is he puts his hand out and says, you'll bring Luke Skywalker. They're Force texting. I say they're, I say they're Force texting. Force texting. What do you call the awkward hand touch? I call that the hand sex scene. <laughs> oh, and then Uncle Luke comes in, ruins it all. It's like it's kind of like no, 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 no touching, no, no petting in this house. <laughs> but, uh, but no. But going back to the um, Luke Skywalker thing, the thing about that is how I look at it is that it's also there as, as Mark likes it. It's subverting your expectations because. Everybody, I'm not sure, Jack, how much you followed the rumors for The Force Awakens, but everybody was convinced, and I know Mark knows this, everyone's convinced, oh, Luke Skywalker's going to show up during the third act of The Force Awakens, and he's going to be the one that saves uh, Rey and Finn from Kylo Ren. Everybody was convinced of that. And then when the rumors started coming out that Luke wasn't going to be in this film that much, everybody has sense of denial about this. Of Oh, no. How can they have Luke Skywalker? How can he only be in the film for 30 seconds? He's second build on the poster. There's no way. And obviously, long story short, we know how Force Awakens turned out. And it's amazing how this film basically ends with the way everybody had imagined the ending of The Force Awakens was going to be for the two and a half, three years building up to that. Where it's like, oh, you're going to have a Luke Skywalker versus a Kylo Ren showdown. And the reason why I think that works on Crate is that you have Luke Skywalker show up there in the flesh. It makes Luke Skywalker mortal. It makes him human. But by him showing up and just being this projection, A, it shows that he's, again, everybody who's listening to this knows this, but he's incredibly powerful. He's, more, he's a more powerful force user than we've ever seen before. And then on top of that, you take this bratty, spoiled villain, and when Kylo Ren goes to impale him with the lightsaber, very similarly to how he killed Han Solo, he, you know, yes, he does swipe at him initially, but in order for him to really, what's the word, uh, lightsaber, double tap him, he doesn't swipe at him again. He deliberately impales him through the chest. And when he does that, the whole point of that scene for Luke Skywalker is not just to deny Kylo Ren the ability of killing him. He also humiliates him while the entire armada of the bad guys is watching. And I think that's the whole, never mind, plus you have the whole subplot of Luke's doing this to help the Resistance get away. He's letting Rey, uh, I guess the one thing that does drive me nuts about this movie is that Luke tells Rey the Force is more than just lifting rocks, and Rey saves the day by lifting rocks. Like, yep. I don't know about you, but that's, that, that's silly. <laughs> it's, it's very true. It, it's <laughs> silly. It's like, come on, you couldn't have her lift something else? Like, you're going to be I mean, a, a think, giant salt I think deposit. it was done by, like, you, you got to think that that was done on purpose, but it's like, like, are you making fun of yourselves? I don't get it. 
That's what I mean. Maybe Ryan Johnson's very cynical. Let's let's hope that's what it is. Uh, yeah, I mean, like like we said, uh, you know, uh, Ryan Johnson's a uh, choice of humor in this movie it was very, uh, yeah, it was very interesting, very peculiar. Uh, some people were put off by it; others didn't mind it. You know, um, I was yeah. I mean, even even like that scene with the uh, the moose nipples scene. I mean, again, like the fact that we have to talk about <laughs> the moose nipple scene of Star Wars. Right? I, never thought I, I just that. got that. We are. Right. So like, that, I think that it was just kind of. Kind of jarring and off-putting, or 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 the fact that the movie starts off with a reference to a Verizon wireless ad, which I guess you know we talk about Disney and commercialization. I suppose that kind of makes sense. <laughs> um, but uh, one thing that I would say to people that were upset about how they handled Luke is is that guys, I mean, just because he passed into the Force doesn't mean he can't be in the next movie. In fact, for me. I think that all but tells me that he probably will be in the next movie, right? Because we yep, did yeah. see him transform, uh, like his body disappeared, right? So uh, I, I, for I, when I saw people saying that, I said, "Well, guys, I mean, I'm, he's he's not done. There's he. They can bring him back. He's going to be there. I mean, I don't know. I think it would be very, very strange if he wasn't there as as a guide or a." Um, you know, even a voice of inspiration for Ray as we go into into the final movie. I don't know. What do you What do you guys think? How does that? How do you think it sets things up for for going into Episode Nine? I, I'll let Ozzy Mark because I'll be really brief with this. I I agree with you wholeheartedly. I, if Luke's not in this next movie as a Force Ghost or something else, I'll be genuinely shocked. I, I believe he'll be in there as well. I mean, I I would be very surprised if he's not in the movie. Um, He's going to be there, unless you know in real life he happens to meet the same tragic fate as Carrie Fisher does. Uh, you know, I'm you know I am expecting for him to be to show up as a force ghost. Um, Which and so. that's actually another question is so Princess Leia, right? Like right. what? How are they going to deal with that? Because to me, I I thought that it, you know that surely they will have her sacrifice herself at some point in the film because of you know the situation in real life, but that didn't happen. The Last Jedi, um, you know, its filming ended in the summer of 2016. Um, so, you know, she didn't die till late December 2016. Uh, so they would have to have done something like some sort of like bring in an extra or something, you know, and radically change her scenes. Um, I, I, I didn't think, you know, they were going to kill her off. Uh, to be, in my opinion, I wasn't thinking that. Now, how are they going to do it for episode nine? I, I don't know. They may just show her like, may just say that she's retired or something kind of like, you know, Paul Walker's character in the, in the Fast and Furious franchise, um, you know, without that montage at the end, of course. But <laughs> we should hope a Charlie Puth song comes on with Wiz Khalifa singing in the background. <laughs> yeah, right, right. But she's, so she's the only one of the original three that we've got left, and she's not left though. So it, it, that's that's the I guess the kind of the uh, uh, the conundrum that that the screenwriters find themselves in at Disney now. I've I've heard rumors that supposedly she may have they may have already filmed her. Uh, her scenes for episode nine. Um, I, that's just rumor right now. Um, but I've, I've heard rumors of that. I've also heard, because I've also heard that they're not going to do that whole, um, that 3d modeling thing, you know, like kind of like what they did with, uh, Paul Walker's like face or, or like, or, uh, or rogue one. They've already, they already did it in rogue one that, which came out. Um, it didn't come out after she died, but uh, it was still in, she died while like right after it came out. Yeah, so, it was in a couple weeks. Right. So, yeah, they, so, so technically, she was, you know, she appeared posthumously in in a way. Right. right. And so did, uh, right. And so did what? So did, uh, you know, the facial recognition of uh, Peter Cushing, the actor. Um, you know, he's been dead for 
since the 2000, I think, maybe even before that. Um, but he, um, you know, they did it with him as well. But, I, you know, from what I've read is that they're not going to do that with uh, Carrie Fisher's character, uh, Leia. They're not going to do that. They're not playing to do that uh, for episode nine. Could things change? Maybe. But as of See, right I now. Almost, I almost think at this point, um, how, do, how do you not do that, right? Because... It, it, it seems like Leia is, you know, at where we last see her in Force in uh, in Last Jedi, where she, where we leave her off is, you know, she's basically leading the last remnant of the Resistance. She is the last of the three big characters that's around. So, I don't know how you have her just kind of be off screen for the whole film and people sort of refer to her. Um, you almost kind of have to give her a big role and then have her character dealt with in 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 some way um but i don't i don't know i know i don't know how you do that without showing her you know i do because th- you look at these movies the force awakens and last jedi what there's there's pretty much no breakup they continue one into the other there's no time span there's no yeah it's not like star wars into trilogy Empire. or the prequels that's a good point it's like the movie ends and then the movie starts yeah because this is my yes good point more this episodic this is my theory, though. I don't know how much you, uh, Jack. Did you play Battlefront Two at all? The new game. You know anything about that? Or no, I, I do not. All right, just to give you a little bit of a context with that. That game ends with the characters of that game see like a map, and the First Order basically are declaring martial law across the entire universe, and they're taking control of all the star systems. That's basically how that game ends. Okay, see, and... I would have loved for there to be a scene of that in this film. Because I kept scratching my head, wondering like, like what do you, what is everyone rebelling against? Like, what is the overall situation? You know, like it's it's never really presented. Exactly, and that's why because this is where this is my theories coming in now, is that I think episode nine is going to take place. I think it's going to be at least two three years. I think we're going to skip ahead at least that far, and you're going to see. Like, think of Revenge of the Sith. You have Attack of the Clones is the very beginning of the Clone War. And Revenge of the Sith picks up basically as it concludes. And I right. think that's what you're going to see with this. Because think about it. when Because apparently Daisy Ridley keeps saying she's done with Star Wars after, after Episode Nine. That means Daisy Ridley's only signed on for three films. She's only signed on for three. And she's telling Disney, if you want me for more than this, you better pay up. So I think we're going to see the very end of the Resistance versus First Order struggle in Episode 10. I'm sorry, Episode 9. I'm getting ahead of myself here. And, and I think what's going to be is that we're going to see it conclude. And I think Leia's going to be dead by the time we walk into episode nine. And it's because it's going to be years after that. And she's not going to die because she does a, a space dern and crashes a, a ship going into light speed into a giant ship. I think it's because us as the audience know she's dead. We know the filmmakers can't do anything with her. And Carrie Fisher was such a unique human being to bring her back as a digital character without her, it's one thing doing the rogue one thing when she's alive and she's like, Oh wow, that, that that's cool. And you have her input on it, but to do that without her involved, that comes across in poor taste. I, I or you can't do it justice. It's kind of like bringing back Michael Jackson as a CGI creation. It's like, how do you get inside that guy's head? Cause they're just so unique of a human being. So I think we're going to show up to episode nine years down the line. Again, not many, but three or so. And we're going to see the ending of the, is there a name for this conflict, Mark? Like you have the, the Clone War, the Galactic Civil War. Do we have a name for this conflict? No, I, I can't think of just, I don't know, Rise of the First Order, that kind of thing. 
All right. So yeah. whatever it is, Rise of the First Order conflict. It's more than just Rise, almost because they, I mean, I guess they because they, they've wiped out the the New Republic. So it's it's the um... eradication of the New Republic. I'm trying to give a name. For, maybe we can coin a term right here now. Maybe a rebuild of the Republic, or yeah. I, how about just Second Galactic Civil War? <laughs> yeah, you know, we could do that as well. I, I mean, mean, that's I that's kind of. I mean, I know I know that's sort of punting, but it is kind of what it is. Well, yeah, let's call it what it is. Let's, instead of getting too wordy with it. But no, I think that's what it's going to be. And not to get the peek behind the curtain and see how the sausage is made. You could, what happened with Colin Trevorrow is that, think about it, Colin Trevorrow, prior to all this, has script. Or he at least has story outline. And wouldn't, it be, all, wouldn't it be amazing to get that outline and see how it differs from, oh, what, it'd be, from, it'd be in, from this film and then what we eventually get from Nine? Oh, it'd be insane because I'm not sure if like, we, we joked about this a few months ago that, um, oh God, Trevorrow directed the book of Henry, which I'm not sure if you know anything about that thing. I do know that film. That's an excellent film. Oh, you saw it. it, it it's insane. <laughs> do, do you actually like it? Or are you being sarcastic or no, I guess I mean, from, from in terms of a, uh, in, from in terms of a creative standpoint and how crazy it is. And the fact that he <laughs> actually sat down and like made all of it, like, I love the fact that he did that, and now he's doing like blockbusters. All right, so oh, but like, there's so many. Like, but I'm trying to, like, so, yeah, because it is. We have to. We might have to do a special review one day on the Book of Henry, Mark, because it is truly a Gonzo film. <laughs> it I really love Gonzo. Is. If you, if you believe me, if you follow me on Twitter, you know I love Gonzo. Well, there you go. See, Jack, you, 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 you're on the, I'm on the same page right now. But no, like, think about it. if you're Disney and uh, Colin Trevorrow submit the story outline, and let's just say in in May of 2017. And it's this entire Leia-centric thing. They don't know what to do with it. Trevorrow doesn't know what to do with it. And then you have the whole thing that happened with Book of Henry, where the movie's a disaster. It, I, I, I don't know if it made that much money. If, if, if it barely broke even, if it even did that. It's a critical disaster. It's, it's gonzo. And they look at that and they figure, okay, we can't use his story outline anymore because there's really no way to make a film with Carrie Fisher throughout 100% of it. And then on top of that, this guy is kind of critical poison because nobody really, again, even though people, you know, Jurassic World made a ton of money, people didn't really. It's hard to say something that makes one point five billion dollars isn't liked. It's really, I'm not sure about you. It's a popcorn film. Yeah, but it's a popcorn film. But it's a popcorn film. No one really respects. If that makes, it's not the Avengers. It's not Harry Potter. It's not anything that's taken seriously. Where I guess Jurassic Park was taken seriously previously. But I don't know. That's how it for another day. Avatar, think, maybe? Like, you... Yeah, like I said, yeah. It, it's, it at least has some level of prestige to it. And I think that's what happened to Trevor. You have, he wrote a story outline that's really, that requires a page one rework. And on top of that, nobody really likes him. The reason why he got the job is because Steven Spielberg vouched for him again. And so you figure, okay, let's get rid of the one Spielberg protege and bring the other one in. And obviously we all know J.J. Abrams is dying to come back into the sandbox now. So it implies, as we also know too, that Ryan Johnson basically threw out all of his ideas. Ryan Johnson said, yeah, I'm going to take these ideas. I'm going to put them very, like, because Ryan Johnson drew the circle of trust and took the Force Awakens and put it firmly outside the circle of trust. And I think that's what brought... JJ back into this. They really had, they didn't like Trevor anymore. They didn't like his ideas. And they figured, okay, here's a perfect excuse to get rid of him because really nothing that he worked on could be used in the actual film we're making. I, I, I don't know. I mean, about like, you know, th- the whole throwing out ideas thing. I'm, 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 I believe that Lucasfilm, you know, had already a blueprint of how all three movies are going to be fleshed out. At least, uh, 
you know, at least the main point of it, you know, like the, what the story is going to be about eventually, you know. Well, Ryan Johnson said he when he when he, he started working on uh, episode eight in um, spring of 2014. And he said that he had he was given no restrictions, no outline of what was coming. He was told do whatever you want. Just he was given the script for, for the locked in script for Force Awakens and said, all you have to do is pick up from where this left off. Other than that, you are not cornered in, you're not painted into any corners with this go wild and that's why you got the film you got he actually said that in an interview and he's also if you see some of the new interviews he's saying cause like with the thing with race parents he's even going out there saying that that could change in the next film because he has no say in it interesting so i don't know it's interesting it's yeah it's it's kind of like um i don't want to say inside joke but like almost like a like an inside prank or joke that like each director is playing for each other it's like throw it's like all right i'm gonna throw you this curveball then I'm going to throw you that curveball. It's like uh, if you've ever been to any of those improv games or improv classes where they, uh, you know, they have people do that and, you, you know, someone starts a story and someone else has to finish it, you know, and then you have to finish it sort of in the middle. It's like, OK, then where do you do? So like in JJ, of course, because he loves, you know, JJ loves his mystery box. That's what Force Awakens was, right? There are mystery boxes all over that movie. But then um, Rian Johnson was just like, I'm taking away all of your mystery boxes. <laughs> you know, no more mystery boxes for you, JJ. And now JJ's sitting there like, huh, how do I deal with this? Like, he almost looks at it like a, you know, like a challenge. Chuck, I have to ask you, uh, are you a big fan of JJ Abrams as a director? Like, do you like his films? Or- I, I'd say hit or miss. I mean, I, I like some of them. I don't like other ones. Uh, same with his TV. All right. Do you feel he's going to go? Because the question I keep asking everybody with this is that, Disney obviously is looking at the box office receipts, and even though the, again, even though it's going to be the highest-grossing film of the year domestic and internationally, it's not making as much money as it should be for a film that made two billion dollars. I know people are saying that that was that's unrealistic expectations. It still should be making more than that. Like it's 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 going to make less money than Evade, uh, Avengers: Age of Ultron, which is genuinely right. So you've got you've also and you're actually right to compare this with marvel because you know that's what disney is doing right you know that they're looking at this and they're they know that marvel is their other big horse right now and so you're going to be looking this back and forth and it's it's competing divisions within one company and that's that's why you know one of the other big reasons why we're talking about this in terms of sort of the the corporate structure behind these films now rather than just the filmmakers because we know that 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 plays a role into it And, and so there's definitely i think um, going to be, I, if I had to guess from just a corporate standpoint, if they say anything to JJ, they're going to say, Hey, you know, get, get us, get us back on track, get us back to a more traditional looking, feeling, sounding kind of star Wars tale. Um, you know, that's sort of what he delivered in, in broad strokes in, in force awakens where, you know, he played a lot of parallels to a new hope. And I think they're going to kind of be looking for that in, in this next upcoming film, because they're they're going to believe me, uh, you know, they as a company understand where their where their bread is buttered. They paid a lot of money for this franchise, and they they need to make it back, and also need to keep all their other expenses going. So when they see a lot of people complaining specifically about Luke Skywalker, other things, they're going to say JJ fix this. They're going to say JJ people are complaining about Luke, do something with Luke. I, I think if like they're not going to tell him what to do, they're just going to say make this better somehow like you you do your thing okay so here's this is part two of that question how cynical are they going to be with it are they get, are we going to get star killer base 2.0 are we going to get uncar plot with finn and carbonite 
or will it just be like you said, more thematic, broad, broad strokes of Return of the Jedi, where we get more safe, or will it be a carbon copy of the Return of the Jedi, much like how Force Awakens was of A New Hope? You know, I don't know. Normally, I would say yes that it's going to be more closer to a carbon copy, but because of where the ending of Last Jedi leaves everything off, I mean, you know, just go down the list. There is no, you know, well, uh, other than what you said about the battles, uh, Battlefront, you know, that that might change things, but there is no like, there's no emperor, right? There's no one sole group that's controlling everything, um, and then the resistance is boiled down to essentially, you know, the Millennium Falcon, right? You know, one ship. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you can have that that huge epic ending, right? You've got to have something that's much more personal on a character level. Thematically, yes, it's got to be, you know, I think we all kind of get that it's swirling around a, a confrontation between Kylo and Rey and and how they decide to end things. Uh, you know, they're going to be together, they're going to be apart, they're gonna, one of them going to kill each other, right? Uh, is she going to be able to, to turn him back to the light side? And and I think, for me, that's where I would go with it. And those are the story, stories that I'd like to, t- to explain more of. Because, again, we don't really even get more in, in Last Jedi about how exactly did Kylo Ren go from being, you know, this, this paragon of the light side and, you know, the child of, of Han and Leia to do the dark side. We're just sort of told that it happened... It's Snoke is being, you know, kind of blamed for it, but we're not really given a story from Kylo's perspective on how that all went down. And so if this force texting develops into a deeper relationship, you know, uh, between between Kylo and Rey, I would expect to get more of that backstory. And then he would probably use that as a way to try to draw her towards the dark side. I don't think, uh, I mean, I know, you know, some people are thinking JJ's going to play it safe and whatnot, but based on everything that's happened, you know, in The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, I don't think, you know, I don't I don't see him doing uh, the, the Return of the Jedi rehash. I don't see him doing that just because of how, you know, the, the, the foundation is now. Um, so I'm thinking that he's going to, you know, do something new. Uh, doesn't mean that he... Uh, He's going to be bold every, you know, at every corner. In fact, I think he may not be as bold, but I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Um, you know, he, it, it all, there's, where I think we're like two, we're two years away to that. And when did, when did they start filming episode nine? I think they're going to start filming it this Starts summer. summer. Yeah, yeah. I think in June. Yeah, so they'll be filming it this summer. So um, I, I don't see that he's going to be able to play it too, too safe because of the way that, the setup is is now you know he's dealing with um, he's now dealing with a universe that doesn't have the you know a supreme leader like Snoke was uh, he's dealing with uh, you know with one of the last he's dealing with like one last big three character big three being Luke Han and Leia and even that one you know has techni- technically cannot be used because she's dead in the real world so one one question I have for you guys because um, you're you're up on this more than I am on the intel. I had actually heard a report that uh, Rian Johnson might be looking to start filming his new trilogy uh, fairly soon. I, I haven't read on that. Um, have you used that? I, yeah, I've read that. A lot of people are claiming that that's a miscommunication because they feel like Mark stated that the episode nine is going to start filming this summer. And I say, well, why would they start filming at the exact same time? And the only thing I can think about that is that they're either it's gonna, something's going to share the same location. 
as we know now, Disney is building these sets, and the whole point of doing this is that, again, there's going to be Star Wars films from now until eternity. So they figure, okay, let's say Ryan Johnson and J.J. Abrams, considering they're the only two filmmakers that Lucasfilm can get along with, they figured, oh, maybe there's the same location. So why not film both things while we're there instead of J.J. filming in June of 2018 and then Ryan had to coming back in I'm just making this up at the top of my head. December of 2018. Let's just film both. It's cheaper to do that. And if Ryan doesn't want what he filmed, it's cheaper to throw it out than to go back there how many months later with all the actors, all this. That That's my take on it. Hey, and, right. and to, to unite your, your theories, maybe a same location like a certain Jedi temple. Or, excuse me, a Jedi Academy. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Like uh, see? <laughs> right. Ah. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know what? Now that I think of it, I have read a story about a uh, a location that supposedly uh, was marked down as a location for filming. Um, they didn't really these articles that I read. They didn't really know like what it was for, but more than likely it was for episode nine. Um, yeah, it was like it was like somebody was talking about they, how their lands or or their uh, their community had been selected for the Star Wars project. It wasn't like from Disney or something like that. I didn't hear right. that. Right. Um, well, we'll see. I mean, all I know is that um, you got, from what I've read from this new trilogy, it's supposed to be something completely new. Uh, you know, that new characters and one just set somewhere in the Star Wars universe. Uh, Ryan Johnson is supposed to be involved in all three, although he's just directing the first one. At least it's the only so far what's been confirmed is him directing the first one, but he will be involved in the other, in the other two. Uh, and I guess from a writing perspective, um, but we don't really know when you know that's going to take off. Um, see, I could totally see that as Ryan Johnson's whole pitch, like him saying, "Look, all right, I'll do your your normal, you know, uh, Skywalker movie, but I want my own movies too. <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. I, I, I want to be able to really get the creative juices flowing and not not have to play in someone else's sandbox, but I want my own Star Wars sandbox." I, I hope I, I like Ryan Johnson as a filmmaker. Like you, I am a fan of Brick and Looper. I never watched his Breaking Bad stuff, so I'm ignorant on that topic. But I re I, only thing that scares me though is considering how Lucasfilm keeps throwing these directors off their projects. I really hope that like six months from now, on a slow news day, that like a press release doesn't come out saying, "Oh, Ryan Johnson's only producing his trilogy. He's not going to direct it." Then six months later, it's like, oh, Ryan Johnson has decided to leave the project. I really hope they do let him do something still. Because I'd really hate for him to kind of, I don't want to say be ruined. But as we all know, Star Wars is kind of a black hole for creative talent. It's just something that you become defined by it or typecast. And considering how there is this negative connotation. Like, I keep remember we didn't, our last episode we recorded was about The Last Jedi Backlash. And we were all kind of talking about saying, well, the fans don't like this, though. And it's like, guys, the movie's been out for two weeks. It took the prequels almost a decade to be hated this much. This film's been hated that much in the span of 14 days. And I understand, yes, obviously, we live in a very hyper-reactive, hyperbolic time with the Internet. But still, for something to be hated that fast, and you sit there having I just really hope that Lucasfilm doesn't figure, you know what, you know, we like this guy. We, we don't want his stigma on this anymore. It's like it's like well, let's bring Ron Howard in again. What's Ron Howard doing? He's got nothing better to do. Or Christopher Plummer. <laughs> nice reference. Thank yeah, you. exactly. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, I, I, my CGI joke out, uh, out. Like yeah, Kevin Spacey played all the stormtroopers, right? 
Well, I hope so. I, I think that's what they'll do the Princess Leia, considering that Christopher Plummer is in the, oh, is in the no. business of replacing actors. We're just going to replace him with every actor in the film that either dies. Like, I figure if we get Luke Skywalker back in Episode Nine, they'll replace him with Christopher Plummer, Admiral Akbar. Um, like you, you see, like a Force ghost of Christopher Plummer trying to be Anakin Skywalker. It's great. He's going to be up on the poster like three or four times, like they do with Jar Jar with every movie that comes out. Help me, Christopher Plummer. You're my only hope. Yeah, that's going to be the name of this episode. I don't know. Disney's like I consider myself a an amateur expert on the Disney Corporation, and they do. You know, everything they're doing is sound business wise. They do some really wonky things creatively. It makes you wonder what they're thinking. Considering this is a there's a board of directors that's in charge of billions upon billions of dollars, they do some really strange stuff. I, I wanted to get back to the whole thing about the money stuff. Um... See, the Last Jedi was never projected to uh, make you know as much as the Force Awakens. It was always you know lower pro- lower projection. Now, is it going to meet that projection or not? I mean, the, the movie's still in theaters. I don't. I you know who knows. Um, but there's another thing that's in play here, which is called the uh, the law of uh, diminishing returns. That with every new Star Wars film, it's going to be less and less and less, uh, simply because you know. Um, newer movies and then you know some people may not like the the newer one as it comes out i i don't know what, what's your take on this guys well i mean uh, you know force awakens was the movie that people had waited 30 years for this was this was the sequel that everybody wanted uh, after return of the jedi it was the first movie that had all three actors you know in it right. since uh, since 1983 so of course you're going to get more people out to see that one movie that that people have been waiting for so many years to finally uh, to finally see and and because Harrison Ford I, and and to be fair I mean Harrison Ford clearly has you know the the largest you know acting pedigree uh, outside of Star Wars so I think that name appeal really brought a lot of more people in into it and gave it that that longevity and um, you know word of mouth was good so people went to see it a second time a third time and then into into fifth week sixth week and you know however many weeks it went out whereas whereas Last Jedi. Because now we're, we're in a situation where we're almost getting saturated with Star Wars, right? There's never been a time where there's been a Star Wars movie every year, but that's what we have now. So uh, for casual fans, there's I've even heard people saying they, they were confused that Rogue One didn't follow the events of uh, Force Awakens, right? So they didn't understand that Rogue One isn't the sequel to Force Awakens that Last Jedi is. So there's been a lot of that sort of casual fan base has been a little confused and possibly a, not so much turned off, but not as engaged as they were when Force Awakens came out. Yeah, I, that that's a good point because I, I, I don't know. Because getting back to Mark's original point is that trying to judge this movie's uh, financial performance, you try to do it solely on the movie itself. Like the movie, usually the rule of thumb is that a movie should ultimately make, and this is U.S. only, should make three times what its opening weekend gross is. And yes, this movie making $220 million. And so it should be doing around $660 million domestic. It, right now, it's around a 580 give or take. So it still has around $80 million to go. And I, I, it's almost certain it's not going to get that high. I think it's going to peter out probably in the ballpark of around 630 640 but it's the whole idea of is that this was the sequel to the highest grossing film of all time in the U.S. It's even with inflation. It's, it's in the top ten. 
So it is a relative disappointment in the U.S. It, it is going to be labeled that, even though it's going to make uh, boffo money. Internationally, it's again, like Jack was saying, it's hard to gauge because, again, we use that Avengers Age of Ultron comparison. Because, but you look at it though, I think Avengers one made how much? I think that made one point four billion, ha ha ha. And I think Age of Ultron did like one point three or whatever it was. It's only about two hundred million dollars difference, which you know that is a sizable chunk of change. It's not the end of the world. Two billion versus one point three is noticeable. It's like, and that's why I remember back when we were recording a couple of months ago, we looked at Rogue One versus The Force Awakens, and even though like how Jack was saying that there was this element of trying to convey to the audience through the marketing that this wasn't going to be the adventures of Ray, Finn, and Poe, it was going to be new characters. It's still the idea of Force Awakens does $2 billion, and Rogue One just barely gets to $1 billion. That's a 50% drop-off. In, in a movie that did that well numbers. And I don't care what it is. If you it's like if they made if James Cameron made Titanic 2 the very next year after Titanic 1 and it was just called Titanic and it was a true lie sequel, people still would have gone to it just because the title is what it is. And the whole fact is that sort of a massive drop off shows again like again not to say the phrase again, but what Jack said is that Force Awakens was a once-in-a-lifetime experience. It had 35 years of hype built into it. Something lightning the in a bottle. Didn't have. Lightning in a bottle. Exactly. And like you said, you have all three original actors. You have new actors. You have familiar scenarios. You have stormtroopers that look like stormtroopers, but they look a little bit different. It really was that capturing magic in a bottle. Right. It was, um, yeah, and you know, it had been like the first Star Wars movie in 10 years. Uh, you had a lot. It had a lot of hype going. You know, it had a lot of hype going, not just with the hardcore Star Wars fans, but with um, with the uh, mass, with the you know the general audience as well. So, hence you know the amount of money it made. Um, but now with when we're getting one a movie a year, the, you know the hype has you know dies down. People aren't seeing it you know as many times as they as they did with the Force Awakens. Uh, you know, people start seeing you know. Looking at the movie criti- movies critically, and then they kind of start kind of coming in with expectations and things like that. So, I have a theory for Jack, real quick, and this I want to know what he thinks about this. Lay it on. The Force, uh, the Force Awakens, I would consider is a very fun film. It's it's a galloping romp to put it one way. You then have so we have the Last Jedi. The Last Jedi isn't really a particularly fun film, would you say? It's not really fun. It, it it's more. Has more in common with the Empire Strikes Back in that it's much more concerned with emotions and thematics than it is with, hey guys, let's have a lightsaber fight. Let's have a space battle. And I think that's what's hurting this film. Like where you said, people are going to see The Force Awakens five, six, seven, eight, nine times in theaters. I can't imagine somebody who sat through The Force Awakens nine times in theaters seeing this more than maybe three or four times because it's just not that fun of a film. Am I, you think I'm right or am I off base? So I think there's a huge thematic point that you're tapping into that I've always make when I try to get people to go back and watch those movies. And one thing that I always get from the filthy casuals when they watch Empire is they, they always point out that, that they're like, there's so many scenes of people just kind of sitting around and talking, right? Um, and the, 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 the action scenes are, it's like one, you know, the very beginning has a lot of action and then the very end has a lot of action, but the middle it's, it's, you know, they're talking a cloud city, they're talking, uh, you know, they go into, into the asteroid and they're sort of sitting there and then there's, there's character scenes between, uh, 
you know, between Han and Leia. Luke goes over to meet Yoda, but again, not a lot of action, a lot of philosophy and and deep storytelling, which which I certainly love. But again, if someone's just looking for space battles, you're, it's not really the movie. I, um, there isn't technically a space battle in most of um, you know Empire, unless you really count the uh, the asteroid chase scene, which is you know more of a chase scene than a space to car chase. If you go back and look at those, and really any film that's made in the 1970s, 1980s, early 80s, uh, versus today, the audience is different, editing is different, and pacing is so incredibly different in films that the audience of today isn't going to really enjoy those films of of that era because they're so different. If you even go back further um, and watch films from like the 60s or 50s, I mean, the pacing would seem dead to the average film viewer today. And so I think that to your point in by trying to go off of some of those beats, kind of use some of the rhythm of Empire Strikes Back to people, it may have been kind of jarring to them because they were looking for that, uh, you know, amusement park ride, that roller coaster like Force Awakens was, where it was just sort of, it's nonstop. I mean, you were constantly running at 100 miles an hour throughout that film. Whereas in this one, there are times where it pauses and slows down and you can argue whether, you know, whether you like that or not, but there's a lot of pace shifts in this film and that, and that audience today, audiences today just aren't, especially blockbuster audiences, right? Come, you know, compared to the Avengers yeah. series, blockbuster audiences are not used to slow paced films. And I think that's the other reason why the box office, because guess what? Everyone, everybody think about it. Uh, I don't think any of us here have children. It's that you look at the on the blood. way, on the way, oh, on, on the, the way. way. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Um, but you look at the box office, and guess what? Jumanji's doing fantastic. Because you know why? Like you said, it's a fun movie. It's briskly paced, and it's fun. You have The Rock and Kevin Hart and Jack Black and, and uh, what's her name from Doctor Who. And they're all sitting there, and they're having fun. They're, they're making fun quips, and it's brightly lit, and there's animals, and Kevin Hart's exploding from eating cake. So it's and that's what it is. People, because think about it, you have kids. Oh, mommy, mommy, I could, I, I want to go see Star Wars. Mom and dad, who aren't big Star Wars fans, or how'd you describe them, Jack? What were you calling them? Filthy the casuals. Fi- filthy casuals. Like I write that down. I like that. <laughs> the filthy casual parents turn around and say, "Oh God, two and a half hours. Never mind. That's twenty-five minutes of previews. Never mind if you want to get a decent seat. You guys show up at least." 15 20 minutes beforehand you're sitting in the theater with a six-year-old for three and a half hours so it's like you're right and and you're absolutely right by the way and i should have mentioned earlier that that those pacing a lot of that plays into the 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 overall length of the film i mean this is this is a it's it's a for for people if you're dealing with kids like that it's a sludge and you're going to say you know what we, the thing will be out on DVD or Netflix, you know, not Netflix really, but it'll be out soon enough. We've got the big screen at home. It's going to be way cheaper to just go sit and do it there. Never mind. It's also just, it's easier. It's like, do you really, it's just, it's convenient. Like you said, you buy the Blu-ray for $20, stick it in the machine, as opposed to, okay, you got to go to the theater and do all that. Not, and I think that's what's playing into, like, I know everybody says, oh, like an Avatar was what, three hours long. Everyone sat through that for three hours. But it's just the whole idea of is that, and people also forget to not to go back into box office history, but when Avatar came out, that um, Sherlock Holmes film with Robert Downey Jr. came out that same time frame, and that movie made a ton of money. 
that the Robert Downey Jr. one, but the sequel didn't. And the reason why was a lot of people looked like looked at Avatar either because it was too long or because they couldn't get tickets to it. Said, "Oh, let's go see this instead." So it was, it, I always call it. It was a um, okay. Well, I forget what I call it now. Um, it was this kind of fabricated success in that it wasn't organic because people just were going to this because they had no other choice or because they didn't want to sit through the blue people movie again. That's fascinating, by the way. That's, that's I, didn't, I didn't know the story. That's a really incredible insight. Because I remember, because I was, a, like, I've always been a box office nerd. And I was, I, there was nobody that was more on the hype train for the Avatar film during the summer of 2009 than me. Like, I was like, I saw like an early screening of like special footage for it. And I was like, again, long story short, I was on the hype train. It's like at the end of the movie, I was with my friend. He goes, by the end, by the climax of your film, if I'm still siding with the military over the indigenous population, you failed at your story. And, I come, and that's what it was. Though. But again, that's that's a topic for another day. I, I, will, I will throw this one at you while I'm on the show uh, that uh, I always joke that the climax of uh, of Avatar is the Marine going back and murdering all of his friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. You're not which wrong. which which I don't know for me, you know, being in the military, that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I don't know. That movie has a lot of problems. Like, like even like the whole idea, the fact this movie takes place like in like twenty two hundred or whatever it is. We are we are going to have to do a separate episode just on Avatar. I, oh, I, yeah. I, I feel it. I feel it. I feel it. We got it. Mark mentioned Jack. Do you want to talk about um, the Star Wars uh, galaxy and conservatism? Before we get to that, I have one other question for you, and I'll let Mark ask anything else. What's your opinion on the Han Solo film coming out? Oh man, that that poster that I saw—if that was real—I'm worried. If that was real, I'm very it's real. worried. I saw it. Wow. I saw it in my local movie theater. It's real. It's, yeah. a, it's literally uh, black text or black, yellow and black. Yeah. Total. And there's been that. There's been Lego leaks. Yeah, they have that uh, picture, that yellow background thing uh, deal. Uh, they have that on the boxes. Does not mean that it's final, but more than likely it is, and because these sets look like they're gonna be you know the sets that come out you know for when the when the solo movie comes out so my opinion is uh go read the ac crispin han solo trilogy <laughs> okay that's fair to be fair i think they're taking i think they're borrowing very heavily from that so you you might actually get a screen adaptation of that if you play your cards just right that would be, i if it, in all seriousness uh people always talk about the the thrawn trilogy of when it comes to the star wars novels the han solo backstory trilogy is probably the best other trilogy of the Star Wars novels. Uh, it's 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 incredible writing by by the late great uh, writer AC Crispin, and you you honestly can't find um, other than Timothy Zahn, you couldn't find any better Star Wars books out there. That's Star Wars. I, I've always been afraid to really delve into the EU because like, every time I did that, like when I was younger, like in middle school and high school, a lot of it's just garbage. That's what's good about these because they don't really touch any of the other bit any of the other EU. It's it's just Han Solo's backstory. Like I said, there's a lot, there's a lot of good EU stuff out there, though, but the problem is that there's a lot of garbage in between it. That's that, that's always been my fear. Is like, okay, I'm going to invest in this book. Okay, I am two chapters into it, and I have no idea what's going on because they're referencing things from other books that were published in like 1979. Then you have this happening. You have all these characters. And every time a new like species comes up, you gotta stop reading Wikipedia. That species, oh, it's it's that type of character. Okay, read three more lines. Oh, okay, here's another character's name. I gotta type in, figure out who it is. 
Like I said, but, I, but to all our listeners, though, I have heard positive things about the Han Solo trilogy. So, so check it out. Yeah, speaking of uh, of, of Thrawn trilogy, uh, I don't know if you know this, Jack, but uh, they have uh, the Thrawn character. They they have a canon version of him. Uh, he's, he's oh yeah, a, so I did. I did actually go and read the Thrawn uh, novel that came out. Right, right. So, what did you, what, what did you think of it? I haven't read it, but uh, um, and I think they're coming out with a sequel actually too. But uh, yep, I I thought it was really good. Um, I thought it was really cool the way that Thrawn sort of insinuated himself to the Empire. Um, and I guess okay, if they're turning it into a series, that'll make more sense to me because. The only thing I would have said about it was the ending. It just kind of stops. Like there's no, it, it's it's like this great buildup, and you know, Thrawn is this amazing uh, chiss tactician, comes into everything, and then he just sort of goes off into the Empire, and that's it. It's like okay, well, wait, what what happens next? I didn't like the Thrawn book. I, I still have to read, complete, uh, finish it. But like I thought it was a pain to get through. I'm like I'm like life is too. Considering some of the there's some of the new canon books that I think are really really good. This was like. Oh, it's like okay, Thrawn's doing something. All right, chances are he's gonna figure out a way out of this. Oh, he figured it out. Good job, Thrawn. And then it's like, yeah, that's kind of what I mean. Like, like the the very beginning is awesome about how you first meet him, and then mm-hmm. it just kind of kind of turns into a series of events. Yeah, and I think that just it's just like okay, I get it. And like you said, I did hear stories that the book basically ends. Uh, this makes sense. Uh, it begins basically. The book ends, I hear, with the Rebels season three. It basically picks. It, he transitions right into that. And like Mark said, there's a second book coming out. I think this April or maybe June, where it's the cover. Nobody knows what it's about yet, but the cover of it is him and Darth Vader. So they're going to be them. T- it's going to be a buddy cop book where it's him and Vader. They're cops. One's serious. One's not. Who knows? Oh my gosh! Yes, it's going to be great. All right, so I don't know how much time you have left, Jack, but do you want to get into your theory about Star Wars and conservatism in the galaxy, or are you saving that for the very end? Uh, well, I, I do have a couple more minutes uh, that I can hang with you guys, uh, but but no, in in broad strokes, you know, to me, looking at the the original uh, trilogy of Star Wars, and even kind of bouncing that against some of the echoes of it we're seeing now in um, in the new secret sequel trilogy, it. I've always been able, you know, kind of putting my political hat on here. Yes, I am conservative. Yes, I'm a Republican, Trump supporter, etc. That I always watched those films and saw that as a as a conservative story. And and I think being a Star Wars fan is what led me to conservatism. And that idea of, I mean, let's face it, it's it's a strong, powerful, large government imposing its will on people who want freedom. Uh, that's, that's the story of star Wars. And to me, that's the story of America. And that's the story of, you know, sort of, uh, conservatism versus, uh, basically, you know, social big government ism, uh, you call it socialism, call it liberalism, but that's basically what we end up getting. And so to me that, um, I mean, you can even go back and look at the, the history, histrionics of it as well. You know, star Wars was written during the cold war. So for, uh, for a lot of people the the empire represented the, you know, the evil empire of the USSR, right? So, and they were trying to, in, to increase their grips in other parts of the world, like Vietnam, other parts like, like North Korea, China, etc. as they were expanding communism throughout the galaxy, or excuse me, <laughs> throughout the, uh, throughout the world. Um, and, and of course, uh, pushing across Eastern Europe, um, you know, like with Poland, uh, East, East Germany. And so, 
it was those those forces of freedom fighters fighting against the you know all powerful empire that eventually won out and overthrew it and so in in I would say that Return of the Jedi really foreshadowed the downfall of the USSR in a lot of ways because it showed that these these empires can crumble if you focus on the leaders, if you focus on the leadership of it, and that is actually what happened in real life. It's it's this amazing parallel that I find that nobody really talks about. Maybe I should uh, you know do some writing on it, but it also to me speaks to that sort of deeper story. And people can talk about the hero's journey and the monomyth. But that that deeper story of how uh, the individual or the righteous, you know, protagonist against all odds is able to achieve. That's kind of how I've always viewed the struggle, I guess you could call it the struggle or the conflict between individualism and collectivism, where collectivism is by its own nature going to be larger, going to have more people, going to have uh, a lot more mass to it, a lot a lot, a lot of the establishment certainly in the United States and the West these days is much more collectivist, is much more on the left, whereas it's the individualist that's saying, no, we should all have freedom, we should all have this ability to make choices for ourselves, and that's, in my head, how I always viewed the rebels against the evil empire. That's fascinating. I've never heard the the uh, connection to the USSR. Usually, obviously, when you hear about the empire of Star Wars... The first thing on myself, I fall into this category. It's obviously the Nazis, between Stormtrooper and the design of the uniforms and Vader's helmet. So that, but I've never connected it that way. And, and, for, and for sure, the, the right and for sure the the aesthetic is there, and you know the dogfights, of course, go back to you know harken back to those World War One or excuse me World War Two movies. Um, but you got to put it in in the context of of when it was made, and that was smack dab in the middle of the Cold War in the beginning of uh, sort of the Reagan administration. It's an interesting take because um, there's this one documentary it's called uh, Empire of Dreams, which uh, I think that's what it's called. The, the one that talks about like how the uh, the, thir- the three movies, the three original uh, trilogy movies were made. They start off saying that you know before um, the first Star Wars movie came out, you had all these events, you know, like Vietnam War, uh, Nixon resigning, um, you know, with the whole Watergate scandal, and you know, they, they just kind of have you know. This they're talking about how like there was this period of negativity in the U.S. and you know, and then now you had and and that some of the films also that were coming out were you know had a lot of negative imagery as well. But then you, know, you got a movie like Star Wars coming out and you know everyone's bright, shining, and back up again and in good spirits. Um, but I've never really heard that you know a take on the you know when you. Uh, link it to you know what was going on with the uh, soviet union and whatnot so that's interesting uh, that's it yeah you know. i i played I, I think they drew a lot from of course world war ii and then also a lot from what was going on in uh you know in in their day right when those films were made as certainly before uh before i was born and the same way you know tanya and i my, my wife were were re-watching the the battlestar galactica series and that was made right during the Iraq War uh, and right after uh, 9/11. So there's a ton of parallels and themes that they drew directly from the Iraq War. Uh, they talk about terrorism. They talk about suicide bombing, uh, enhanced interrogations, wiretapping. You know, all that stuff comes up in the context of Battlestar Galactica because they drew from the conflict that was going on at the time. Interesting. I still gotta watch Battlestar Galactica. I have. Uh, it's yeah. so good. It's so good. You gotta see it. 
So good. Uh, Ever yeah. James almost. Oh, <laughs> Case, so say we all. Yes. My, my third, my third watch through. Her first, my third. Because there's one thing you mentioned that though. Because again, I remember back my first really. I never really looked at Star Wars and politics until I can still remember this. This was back in. God, it had to be 2006 or so. It was a it was a John Stewart clip from The Daily Show, and I guess the the RNC made some sort of video comparing obviously Nancy Pelosi and all them to the the Empire. And John Stewart was having a fit, like, and he's banging his shoe on the table, saying, "Obviously, you Republicans are so stupid." And I'm watching it. I was figuring it's like, well, to be fair, the rebels want smaller government. They don't want a totalitarian government that decide, like you're saying, the the social secret socialism, where everything is decided by the government. And it's like I never understood that argument. Just because freedom fighters mean they're automatically liberal, I, that that's never made sense to me. And obviously, again, I, I went away to college, and I kind of – I don't want to say I bit my tongue because I always kind of wore my political leanings on my sleeve. Or if somebody ever asked me about them, I told them how I felt. I never hit it. And then over time, I was always – because, as you know, as Mark knows very well, is that the Star Wars fan base on Twitter is very overwhelmingly liberal. Very, again, capital L-I-B-E-R-A-L. The black rebel insignia that's supposed to be the resistance, the Star Wars resistance to Trump. You see that, and you figure, like, what are these people trying to get at? And so I, I've always been trying to figure, like you guys, I know how to read into the politics of the situation. Like you were saying back during when all these things are made, what's going through people's mind? And so there was a Star Wars book in the last couple of years called Bloodline. And it takes place, it, it's it's sequel trilogy era, and it's Leia-centric, and it's Leia's involvement in the New Republic. And the book gets into the fact that the New Republic has two political parties. And one of them wants big government wants big government wants wants to go they feel if the government takes control of everything uh another um, empire will never occur because they'll be involved with everything they'll stop that from ever happening and then there's another political party that believes the powers should be dispersed among the different systems the, the different um planets and the whole time the book kind of pussyfoots around the term of which one is lay on and I'm like, well, Leia has to be the one that believes that it should be planet-centric. There shouldn't be centralized power in the galaxy, especially after Palpatine. And I'm reading it. I'm like, okay, but as you know, obviously, all these okay, Disney, all these authors are always liberal. But I'm like, I'm reading it, and guess what? Leia believes the power should be among the planets, not amongst the bureaucracy. And I'm like, how many people reading this she, now? She's, she's against the galactic deep state. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's true. I, I, if you watch Force Awakens or The Last Jedi, I don't know how you can make the argument that Leia is liberal. I, I, I don't get how you can make that argument. And yet, I would imagine when this goes out, we're, are, we are going to get some version of hate mail saying, obviously, you're trying to push a political opinion. And for the record, we're not. We're, we're not saying our opinion is the only correct one. Yeah, you're, and, you're entitled to believe whatever you want to believe. Even, I would even uh, put it through as a corollary that you know what the, these films are art, and people can find in art you know many different interpretations, right? Exactly. We're not. And, exactly. I, and I'm just saying, like for me, that's how I took the story, and that's how it helped to form me. And and as I said, you know, I'm I'm, I'm I do get, I am very highly involved in politics now, and Star Wars was a big part of my childhood, a big part of where I came from. So is there a connection there? I don't know. Maybe. Well put. Well put. Like I said, just for the record, one more time, we are not telling anybody what to believe. We are we are presenting an opinion. 
like what's that thing you always see when you put in like an old DVD? The the commentaries and views expressed in this in this thing do not reflect the values of the studio or the shareholders. We need one of those. Maybe that'll be the after the Christopher Plummer title. That'll be the second. That'll be the subtitle for that. Well, I'd love I'd love to hear from someone on the other side how it's not like that. You know what I mean? I'd love to hear oh, there on the other like side uh, from and and I I don't mean just people who are kind of you know vitriolic, but actually you know a sit down rational discussion on how the empire is conservative and how the new republic is you know like socialist it just i don't i don't or i guess the the rebellion in this case it just it doesn't quite make sense to me right because it's it i've always kind of looked at it as like and you and you always get these sort of emotional kind of responses when you ask people about that not to go down that line too far but you always say like well you always say like well republicans are militaristic and the empire is militaristic therefore it's Republican. And I say, well, yeah, but I mean, the rebellion was a military too. I mean, they wouldn't have been very effective. If they didn't have a yeah. military force. Um, and, and that you have know, clearly the resistance is, 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 I mean, heck Leia isn't, Leia's not the, you know, the chancellor of the new Republic in these films. She is the general, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, that actually goes to your argument that in bloodlines and, uh, you know, and the, her work time in the new Republic that she did become more, more conservative possibly because she leaves and goes into the military. Yeah. I think people kind of take it for the most part, kind of have that, that surface level emotional sense about things and then just kind of impose their own politics onto the emotions that they receive from the, from the films. Exactly. And and for the record, I don't think any of us are walking into episode nine saying, oh, I can't wait for those Republicans to defeat those Democrats or to watch the (laughs) liberals finally trance those conservatives. I don't think anybody walks into the movie hoping for that. No, exactly. Because we know it's it's not that because I, I quite honestly, I would prefer and I've said this for years, I would prefer to not have any politics in my in my sci-fi i i would much rather you know when i when i say that i mean like overt political references i don't want any of those i just want an awesome movie about jedi versus you know sith or the republic versus the empire that's that's all i'm looking for or if it does get political, right. something like bsg right uh something oh. like bsg where uh politics is brought up but it's discussed and no one side is really taken it's just sort of mixed into the overarching story right one aspect <laughs> that i'd love to to point out as well uh, talking about you know sort of uh values in star wars is that the entire concept of uh the jedi and the force i mean that's to me that's always been re- represented religion that's represented spirituality i i'm personally christian um, it, it seems very close to Judeo-Christianity, right? This idea of a unifying spiritual force that connects us all together. And a lot of the belief certainly is espoused by Yoda. Um, it, it seems to go back towards a religion and faith and having, um, you know, that, that sort of understanding, that deep understanding and something you can't see, you can't touch, but you believe is there. And for me, that's, that's always been on the right that's always been part of conserv- of the conservative side not necessarily something that you find so much on the left you find uh typically you'll you'll find people that are are quite negative towards christianity in particular or uh, religion in general um you find much more openness to atheism much more embracing of uh you know kind of uh science much more mocking uh the 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 bible and people who are believers and and why well, when i say embracing science i mean uh you know, putting science above. So 
it would be interesting to see how someone could say that a movie about spiritual warriors is, uh, you know, a, a liberal movie. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I, I don't, I don't want to get into that too far cause I'm rather ignorant on that, but I've always understood even at the force of even more of a, a Buddhism, Shintoism, Confu- again, even almost like Confucian in a way. That's all. But again, it was spirituality. Obviously, that's the whole point. I don't think anyone can argue against the idea that the Force is a spiritual, oh God, omnipresent thing that runs through all living organisms. And the fact to say that, I don't know. Like I said, people are goofy. I, I can't ra- you can't rationalize people sometimes. Before you leave us, Jack, is there anything else you'd like to share? Any ideas, questions, comments, concerns, or snide remarks? <laughs> uh, no, I'm. You're the first person I- to laugh at that. Wanted to say uh, thank you so much for uh, giving me the time to be on today. Uh, really refreshing to have a, you know, uh, we did get into politics a little bit, but to actually kind of get back and put my put my uh, my Jedi cloak and lightsaber back on for a change and and talk about uh, talk about Star Wars for a while. And I, I love doing it, and happy to come back anytime. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for uh, you know, thanks for coming on here. We're really appreciated and. Uh... Yeah, you know, we, we'd like for you to come back uh, another time. You know, we'll see when we can make that happen again. You know, like, like I said, um, this is a podcast that can be enjoyed by anyone, re- regardless of uh, political leanings. But I do want, you know, I, I like for conservative uh, Star Wars uh, fans to uh, be comfortable. Uh, we don't want to disenfranchise anyone. Right, right, right. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. Uh, I think people can kind of... You can kind of get what our political leanings are from the podcast, but we're not going to say, oh, you know, if you believe this, if you support this person, don't listen to us anymore. Or I don't, I don't think we've actually us. said the president's name this entire two hours, just, just for oh, the record. Oh, we did. Well, we, I know I said it at least once. I think we referenced him. I don't. Did we say his name? I want, I, if, if we did, it was very quickly. We'll put a little bing counter in there. I go back and edit this, and by the end of time, <laughs> we'll get to this point. That we'll count how many bings there were. Better say, kind of in, in reference to all of that, just since we are in the Star Wars uh, case, you know, a lot of people were were asking me about uh, my my campaign last year about Star Wars, and uh, and, and I I think that was directly timed at the specific comments of those of the writers uh, of that film, and and I've I've completely dropped off that ever since since they oh, the Rogue, of course, the Rogue been, One guys right the Rogue Ones yeah Gary Whittia and uh, uh, and Chris Wentz. So concludes this episode of the Knights of Vader, a Star Wars podcast. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, at KOV Podcast. If you like what you hear, please rate and review us on iTunes or whatever podcasting platform you're currently listening to us on. For questions, comments, concerns, or hate mail, contact me, Zach, on Twitter, at Rogue Knight, K-N-I-T-E. Where can people find you, guys? You can find me on Twitter, at Mark underscore SW Megafan. That's at m-a-r-k underscore s-w-m-e-g-a-f-a-n hey uh i'm mainly uh, easily followed on on twitter it's twitter.com backslash jack posobic p-o-s-o-b-i-e-c i've got a book up on uh, amazon just search the name you find it up on there too all right i don't know about you guys but i look forward to our podcast being shadow banned on twitter now thanks to all this so oh, it'll be fun there it is see topical <laughs> getting topical folks all right all kidding aside like I said, Mark said, thank you, Jack. It was a pleasure having you. Maybe we can have you back on when the Han Solo film comes out maybe this year or 20 years from now. Yeah, we'll all get, we'll all get together and see it together. All right, all right bye-bye. Thanks. Have a good night. Later on.